Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and I'm coming at you tonight from the cozy confines of my living room. Tonight's CIHL update is brought to you by our newest and title sponsor of the podcast, the China Hockey Group. Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-focused group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives. They focus on the growth of hockey in Hong Kong and southern China, as well as the development of student-athletes, where sporting goals are achieved alongside educational pursuits. The CHG is comprised of a number of hockey programs. Established in 2011, the CIHL is Hong Kong's elite adult hockey league. The Junior Tigers program is Hong Kong's premier youth hockey organization, featuring the Scotia Bank Island League and Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs. The SCIHL is an adult league for those seeking a more recreational experience. In addition, the CHG showroom is the exclusive reseller of Bauer Warrior hockey equipment and offers services including skate sharpening and fittings. For more information and links to their social media sites, go visit ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. All right, this week in the CIHL, the first game of the week saw the Macau Aces cruise to an 8-4 win over the South China Sharks. Charlie Huber of the Aces was the game's first star for his two-goal, one-assist performance. Young standout Ryan Chu was unbelievable in this game, earning second star. He scored four goals, three of which were highlights in a losing cause. Aces goalie Liam Morfield Yi was the third star with 34 saves. The late game saw the, high, the Hong Kong Tycoons take down the Kowloon Warriors 5-3. They went back and forth all game until John Schichta came through for the Tycoons in the third period, burying the game winner. He ended the night with two goals and one assist, earning himself first star of the game. Matthew Nuttall was the second star with a goal and two assists, and the great Greg Smith was the third star with a goal and an assist in a losing cause. This Thursday, there is only one game on the schedule. The Kowloon Warriors will look to get some revenge on the Hong Kong Tycoons at 10 p.m. at Mega Ice. Come out and take in some of Hong Kong's elite hockey action. Tonight's interview is brought to you by AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. Are your headphones falling apart? Or does your cable do that annoying thing where it only plays sound from one ear? But maybe it's time for an upgrade. Accessory House Global is your one-stop shop for premium headphone accessories. They specialize in ear pads, headbands, carrying cases, and audio cables. Whether you have Bose, Sony, Sennheiser, Beats, Fostex, Denon, or even a set of high-end focal headphones, they've got you covered. All across the pond, hockey podcast listeners get 20% off their first purchase. Use the code AHG20OFF at the checkout and boom, you're sorted. You can check them out on YouTube or at The Real AHG on Instagram. 
Check out their website at accessoryhouseglobal.com and take your first step to reviving your audio experience. My guest today is from the great Canadian town of Thorold, Ontario. He's been working as a feature columnist for over 30 years, most of those in Hong Kong. He began here running the publication department at City University of Hong Kong, then in 1993 started writing a weekly column for the Eastern Express. In 1996, the Express folded and he began writing for Time Magazine, the New York Times, Forbes, the Independent, LA Times, Times of London, amongst many others. In April 2000, he began at the SCMP, the South China Morning Post, until 2017, when he moved back to doing more event-centric writing. Along the way, he also did some TV broadcasting work for Star Sports and ESPN, everything from Japanese baseball to the Chinese Basketball League. Please welcome to Across the Pond, Mr. Tim Noonan. How are you, Tim? Hey. I'm all right, man. I'm all right. Uh, how's how's the, the Hong? Are you guys taking care of Hong Kong for me? We're trying, man, but we're having a bit of a rough go right now. I mean, are you holding yeah. things down in, in my motherland? <laughs> well, I don't really have much choice, dude. We're all kind of sheltering in place, as they say. So uh, right. I'm, um, you know, I, as I was telling you before, this first winter in about 30-odd uh, years, so I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm, feeling I'm kind it. of trying to. Yeah, it's. I'm not really, not really good at this stuff. But uh, anyhow, I'm. I'm. Yes. Yeah, so I'm here in 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 lovely downtown Thorold, Ontario. Which you you being a student of history, you will know that this is where the uh, Canadian and British. Well, they were British forces at the time re, re, repelled the American aggression in in the War of 1812. It, it was here that they uh, they stood firm. So historically. Uh, a rich area, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we've got St. Catharines just down the road, and Niagara Falls on the other end of the road. So uh, you being a hockey podcast, yes, yeah, lots of hockey history here. I'm so. sure there is. Let's uh, let's go all the way back. Let's stick to the uh, to the topic here of Thorold, mm-hmm. Ontario, and take me back mm-hmm. to a young Tim Noonan. Uh, tell oh, me a little geez. bit of tell me a little bit about growing up there, and when you uh, your introduction to hockey, and uh, maybe a few stories about hockey in your uh, in your neck of the woods well we uh are are you know it's kind of the hub it's called the hub of the niagara peninsula so we've got buffalo 30 miles down the road and we've got toronto 60 miles up the road so uh and we also had two junior a teams here back back in the day stop me if i say that too much okay <laughs> back in the day junior a hockey was was the the show you know yeah. and we had uh Bobby Hall and Stan Makita uh, both played in St. Catharines, mm-hmm. St. Catharines Teepees, which became the St. Catharines Blackhawks with Marcel Dion. And then about five miles down the road, Niagara Falls Flyers, who were, who were a Bruins farm team, and Derek Sanderson and Freddie Stanfield and all those guys right. uh, played there. So there was a rich, rich history. And, uh, I mean, I first... I first started. I don't remember. Obviously, I wasn't. I wasn't around when when Stan and Bobby played uh, junior hockey here in the fifties. But the stories are legendary, and of course, um, you know we have generations of Blackhawk fans because of that. And when I started watching sports, Bobby Hall was just 
the most enchanting thing I've ever seen. So I became a Blackhawks fan. But we have a very, very Blasphemy, interesting cross Canadian. I don't well, dude, dude. No, here it's it's. This is not the East Coast. This is different here. <laughs> we have we have tons of Blackhawks fans. We have tons of Bruins fans. We have Sabres fans, and of course, you know those people who are drinking. We have Leaf fans, right? So, um, uh, it's it's yeah, yeah. It's an interesting cross section, and I mean, <laughs> back then it was uh, you could go to Maple Leaf Gardens. Tickets were harder to get for the Leafs, and and Maple Leaf Gardens was 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 kind of sterile. So we would go over to the Odd in Buffalo, which was closer half hour closer and uh, they would serve beer at those games they weren't serving beer in toronto back then was it cheaper so, as well? uh, it was cheaper and it was easier to get better tickets toronto right. has yeah. always been very much a corporate team now more than ever leaf yeah. tickets um i know people who have seasons and they tell me that's the biggest issue the whole lower bowl is corporates so uh you know you have to know somebody to get in whereas buffalo is uh Buffalo's a good time, and we would go to uh, Sabres games. And after the games, there was a bar not far from the uh, from the arena called Sinatra's, and all the teams would drink there. So we would go to Sinatra's whenever the Blackhawks came to town. Cool. Tommy Lysiak, all mm-hmm. these guys, and uh, close the bars with them. Um, yeah, it was pre-social media, so uh, <laughs> it was it was a a pretty pretty wild time. But I mean, around here, so. Um, my neighbor, a couple doors up, was was Owen Nolan, who was the first mm-hmm. pick in the NHL draft years ago, and yep. uh, Nathan Horton played here. Mm-hmm. Um, Sad story, a, Nathan Horton. Yeah, yeah, with the with the concussions mm-hmm. and that, and uh, a kid who's playing now with uh, with Colorado, who just got called up, Connor Timmons, a defenseman. Yeah. He's had problems with concussion. His his brother's best friends with my uh, my brother, and then they live just just behind here. So there's you know there. It's it's like anywhere in Canada. If you go into bars here, you you used to find a bartender who had a cup of coffee in uh, yeah, in, totally in the NHL or something, yeah. and they're parlaying stories about <laughs> Bobby Orr and Bobby Hall and drinking for free for the rest of their life, right? Yeah. And people eat it up. So that's totally. that's that's uh, that's certainly not unique to Thorold. That's that's any any small town in Canada, which which is a, it's it's really. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. So, you know, other than that, um, really, we were, we were, we were lucky. We, uh, we had access to a lot of, uh, a lot of live hockey. And so you can imagine on the networks, you know, we had all the Toronto channels and we had all the Buffalo channels. And this is before ESPN, even when, mm-hmm. um, you know, you would get a couple games a week from the Sabres and a couple from, uh, from the Leafs. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good. A lot of, a lot of exposure. Um, but you know, it was it was kind of uh, it was hockey in the winter and baseball in the summer. So uh, that's really, um, you know, that's 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 basically it. That was my exposure to it. Were you a big hockey family? Um, yeah, yeah. I I I played, but I was a little more proficient at baseball than at hockey. I mean, the thing with hockey in Canada, I, I think. Uh, a lot of Americans might not understand it. it it's kind of like being a baseball player in Texas or California. You got to be really, really good to even be mediocre here. Right. You know, the level of play is so good. So if you're not uh, even making an all-star team in a small town like Thorold, mm-hmm. you got to be good, you know, right. because like the junior B team evolves into junior A teams. So uh, if you're not, if you're not really 
good and talented by the time you're 12 or you're 13, then you're, you're, you're kind of off the radar. But what happened was a lot of guys who I grew up with who were good players in junior B, they, uh, they ended up getting scholarships. Uh, a lot of them went to the Ivy League, Cornell mm-hmm. and, and places like Ohio State, which to me, if you're not making it to the show and you can get a four-year university degree from from one of those schools i mean that's that's fantastic that's a great way to parlay your talent right it certainly is and a lot of guys like uh first of all if you're good enough to make the show and you go and play mm -hmm. ncaa or you go and play cis hockey on the east coast um or or anywhere now in canada um Mm. if you're good enough you're still going to get noticed it doesn't matter number one number two um you're gonna you're gonna have an opportunity afterwards to go still play pro somewhere if you want. That's right. You know, I well, mean, like, yes, there's so many choices. It's, there's so many options now. Well, it's evolved. It's mm-hmm. evolved. I remember the, um, you know, back uh, again, back then, not a lot of college guys. You didn't have your Jonathan Tays and your, mm-hmm. you know, playing at North Dakota State and that sort of thing going on to the NHL and then uh, that that sort of avenue wasn't really there. And I think a lot of that changed when the u.s uh olympic team in 1980 beat the russians and there was a lot of collegians who went on uh, guys like kenny morrill you know yeah um went on gold he won a gold medal in february in a stanley cup in Jan- in in june i mean that's the ultimate right but mm-hmm. so that that kind of evolved to the point now the college programs and, and i get it too a lot of these guys don't want to do the junior travels in that and you know go to college atmosphere it's it's because uh, man even junior a junior hockey in canada it is a grind i mean mm-hmm. just totally think yeah. about playing out west i, I mean know. dude it's just god uh really it really is a grind and so if you can go to a college and be in a program and a yeah. nice cocoon there have um, a trainer and, and still and get yeah totally area. and still get the eyeballs you know get, yeah, get the totally. scouts you know checking you out I, I i think that's a much more uh, and then if things don't work out you can parlay that education but when you're the guy you know from from medicine hat who's been riding buses for the last two years and it doesn't work yeah, out well exactly. now what do you do exactly so, so tim obviously i'm very uh, interested and curious about um, your profession which is uh, journalism and writing and and mm-hmm. and reporting on sports most uh notably um before we get into your career and when you started here in Hong Kong, I'd like to know your perspective on what, what took place this year in the NHL and, and what, how you thought it all unfolded and you know, your overall thoughts. Well, I thought they did about as good as they could do with it. Um, in fact, the presentations of all the bubble sports, uh, NBA, NHL, uh, what else did we have? Baseball. Um, you know, and even football wasn't really a bubble and, and technically neither was baseball, but of the other bubble sports, I thought the NHL presentation was the best of the lot. The games themselves, so you mm-hmm. watch a baseball game and if somebody hit a fall ball, you, you saw 50,000 empty seats, you know, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. and that, that's hard to get around. Whereas the hockey, um, I thought they, I thought they really did well. And, and, and I gotta say, I, I, you know, the lightning and, uh, the stars were they were legit. Um, I think if they had played 82 games and had a playoff slog, both those teams still could have made it. Uh, the other thing too, because they were off for three or four months, the level of play and the pace in the first I know it first took a few it took rounds two weeks was, before yeah. yeah 
No, but I think, I mean, you got to understand in a regular season, when they get to the playoffs, these guys have played 82 games already. Okay. So I know they turn up the volume, but think about this. Like, uh, they talk about hockey being a contact sport on, on, on par with football. Well, football only plays once a week, whereas when you get into the playoffs, it's every second day. So That's you right. got aches and pains. It's it's like, dude, you know, yeah, shut up and get out there. So yeah, but like the Penguins, they were they didn't even get their suitcases unpacked. No, nah, nah. they were well, you know, like, and the Blues and the Blues as well, right? The the defending Cup champs and that. I I just listen. The Penguins have had enough success with that core. Oh, Maybe totally. they just I agree. I mean, I'm just using I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, some good teams got bounced because of that. Because of that quick mm-hmm. turn, mm-hmm. you know, not getting ramped up and I I feel like, you know, not getting into the uh, to the swing of an NHL playoff oh, totally. run. Yeah. Yeah, and while getting into the swing of it meant you have to be a hungry team who wanted success. I don't think anybody came into those playoffs hungrier than Tampa Bay after they did a face plant no, the ob- year before. Obviously, yeah. So it was, uh, you know, I, for, for for them, and I mean, I I kind of laughed at the Oilers. Everybody thought they were they lost to a pretty bad Blackhawks team because. Hey guys, I hate to tell you that's it's a horrible division they played in. So the Oilers, the Oilers numbers were <laughs> yeah, inflated. So some teams were, were exposed. Inflated. Yeah, and some teams were exposed. They weren't as good. Yeah. Um, and I just thought the the quality of hockey. I thought I thought you know I, I what, what did you think? I thought the quality of hockey was pretty good, all things considered. All things considered, it took a few. It's like I said, two weeks before they really ramped up, where games seemed yeah. to be. To have, they were a little bit sloppy, so a little bit slow, not a lot of flow. And then I thought towards the end, they were running, they ran out of gas. Just too many oh, games yeah. in too many days. And oh, yeah. a couple of series that ended in game sevens. Mm. Uh, the game sevens weren't like your classic. No, they weren't art. They, they weren't were, artistic they were masterpieces. Different. Yeah, they weren't artistic masterpieces for sure. But the thing is, too, you know, you got to be cognizant of the, of the extenuating circumstances here. Yes, Not just absolutely. physically, emotionally. Come yeah. on, man. These guys are locked down for two months. You're young and you're dynamic, and your vibe is, you know, we're going to play hockey and maybe we'll go out for a drink after, go to the clubs, whatever. <laughs> yeah. None of that was there, right? Yeah. And uh, didn't uh, that knucklehead Milbury, he went down, Mike Milbury, for saying, oh, yeah, no women in here either. You know, big yeah. deal, and, you know, which was considered politically incorrect. Well, guess what? Hockey is enormously politically incorrect to this day anyhow. Uh, that's another topic. So, I mean, yeah. look, all things considered, the NHL had to make a go of it. But now they're at a crossroads because mm-hmm. the NHL doesn't have nearly the revenue mm-hmm. from TV that the NBA or the NFL does. So they're missing their live gates, and that's why they haven't come out and announced a restart. You know, The NBA is all set to go on Christmas, right? Yeah. The NHL hasn't said anything yet, and uh, I get that. You know, they have logistics they have to work through. They're going to have a Canadian conference, which yeah, seems what are your to be the only way on they that? can do it. Right? What are your thoughts on the bubble situation? Um, everybody has to know that these are very surreal times that listen you can't compare this to what happened 10 years ago in the league and that sort of thing you got to be adaptable i i uh i i'm i'm kind of well first of all they have to sign a a new labor contract too right Mm -hmm. um i i do know and i've heard from players 
who were inside the bubble that they told the NHL in no uncertain terms, we ain't doing a bubble again. That ain't happening. Mm-hmm. So, so Batman's kinda... counter to that is something like uh, mini, mini stays in little bu- yeah. places. So like go to this area, play, stay yeah. for two weeks, play eight games, then yeah. go home for a week, and then go somewhere else. But I will tell you something about an unbalanced schedule. Yeah. Okay, we saw it in baseball where teams only play teams in their division. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm a Giants fan, San Francisco Giants again. That was more like when Bobby Hall was there, Willie Mays was coming too. So that was the first thing I saw as a kid. And I, so the Giants had to play the Dodgers and the Padres. Like uh, between the two of them, they played them 20 times in a 60 game schedule. And right. here were the Oakland A's had this great record. And they had said after 30 games, they had only played five against teams with a winning record. Now, how is that fair? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And that's what happened with baseball. So yeah. you're going to run that risk with hockey. Mm hmm. But you, know, you can counter it and say, well, it's always going to be kind of unbalanced anyhow. You're going to have a division that's better. Like, I mean, yeah, listen, that Oilers, that Oilers division, all three of those California teams were mail-in wins for everybody. So how good were they? How that's good right. was Calgary so when you're playing your those teams? There, you just, you well, just when you, and when you're in the Blackhawks, when you're in the Blackhawks division, every team in there is damn good, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of like, or, or, you know, some of the divisions in the East Coast too. So no, there's no it's always been Central. kind of on. Um, no, and and it's always kind of been unbalanced. Um, I do 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 I think really that you know a Canadian division will stir some passion in people here. It might, but there's like two generations of hockey fans who have no idea what the Habs Leaf rivalry was. Zero. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is not existing. I agree. I I'm, so, I don't think it would be a bad thing. I think it would be fun. I think it would yeah. be fun to watch. And I mean, and if we're in a situation where you know, we have to do something and we have to change yeah. something, then let's just let's just kind of go at it like optimistically and be like, hey, this could be cool to watch the Habs and the Flames play like four times. Yeah. You know, like what, you know, yeah. it, it'd be fun. Well, yes, it'll start cool. And then it'll say like, oh, geez, we got the Habs again. It, yeah, know, but it, I mean, it's, it's, hopefully by then, by the following season, we'll be back to being able to cross borders. Well, I know hockey fans in, in the New York City area, and they've always said to me, it seems like every game, if you're a Rangers fan, I mean, you're either playing the Devils or the Islanders. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, dude, seriously? And yeah. so there's an element of monotony there, but at the same time, understand that these are not normal. This is not yeah. normal circumstances. So, I can't see uh, them doing that but bubble where you'd have to play 82 games with no within, no they can't do it within seven teams that's not uh well here's here's the deal and i know this is true with, you'd have with to play each team too. like 14 times no i think the deal is you you like we had what was it 2013 when the the season didn't start until january because of the players yeah uh the strike lockout whatever you want to call it uh I think the goal is get a 48-game season in, all right? Mm-hmm. Get all this done. Have your champion crowned uh, in in June again and then hope that the vaccine kicks in and then we can normalize things in the second part of, of 2021. I know for the NBA, um, the NHL has been told by NBC Sports, who they have a contract with in the U.S., is you got to have your stuff done by the end of June because if – Tokyo's happening. All our resources are going mm-hmm. to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So the NHL, unfortunately, the, the NHL, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on 
your podcast, but they're the bitch of the networks. They mm-hmm. have to. They have to fall in line. Of course. Right? So yeah. there's extenuating circumstances. I mean, I'm just like uh, it's money. It's all money. There's so there's oh, so wow. much more money involved with the other sports. I mean, of course they are. They're at the bottom yes, of the totem pole. But at the same time, these franchises have to pay the bills, and yeah. it's okay. Like if you're in the NFL and you got the guaranteed TV money, then you can tell anybody you know dictate your terms. Yeah. But the NHL's not that. That's right. Right. So that's what we're going to see. Um, it'll be interesting, as I say. It's 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 hard not to draw parallels between the NHL and the NBA because they you know they play at the same time and all that. But I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NBA has significant amount more money and exposure. Um, so we will, we will see. So they're up and they're running. And I think in some respects, the fact that they're up and going, it puts pressure on the NHL, you know? Yeah, "Yeah, sure. We're the little brother, but at the same time, you got to get in the race. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We really will. I mean, uh, it's it's all, all up in the air, man. So my fingers are certainly crossed that something will start in January, whether it's training camps, um, you know, whatever it is. Just let's get back on the ice. Um, yeah. And, any yeah, thoughts yeah. on uh, any of the moves that took place in the off season, or any other draft, or or anything that comes well, to mind? I like. I really like Byfield going out to L.A. The number mm-hmm. two pick. Yeah. I think. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I get that you'd like to see the best Canadian players in Canada, but I've always yeah. been of the mind, if you're going to grow the game, you really got to grow the game. And yeah. there's still no indigenous culture for hockey in the Sun Belt. So if right. you're going to sell that game down there, you got to sell it with stars and success. And you got a, you know, multiracial kid who's, who's a stud going down there. Right. So I, I, I think that's a good idea. And I think, you know, the... Uh, uh, the Rangers loading up on high end prospects is 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 good for the game as well. I yeah. I, I really do. Uh, you know, as far as players like, geez, I mean Joe Thornton going to the Leafs and Wayne Simmons and that. I I don't. Yeah, I I don't know that it's going to move the needle in a big direction. No, I, I, I just, thought they went the wrong way. Yeah, I I just I get the fact. Now again, you know, for most of your listeners know Toronto is is the hockey sort of epicenter of of the universe. I just mm-hmm. ask them, and uh, <laughs> and that Leaf team, you know, when they're in salary cap hell and they haven't won, never mind a cup, they've never won a playoff series yeah. with that roster. It's like, now what do you do? You know, well, you start you, you go on talk shows and say, well, everybody knows the playoffs is a crapshoot, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. If you look at the Penguins and the Hawks of this last decade, they were probably the best team in the league. Yeah. So of how is it a crapshoot? You know, yeah. and, and I thought Tampa was the best team in the league last year. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it's hard to argue. Um, that. The playoff, the playoff exposes you, and the Leafs just, um, yeah, I. I don't know that they can make any significant moves, but I, I, I do feel like, okay, so they'll bring in a little bit of grit. Um, you give me Wayne Simmons from six years ago. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's right. the thing. Like Wayne Simmons is only 32 or 33 years old, I what, think, but he's got a lot of hard miles. Oh, those are hard miles. Hard miles. Yeah. You cannot play that type of game and not break down. No, and you that can't. is the bottom line. And, you know, Joe Thornton hasn't skated for ten years. I get no, it. Joe you know, Thornton, he's, he's, he's good. I mean, on a I love, I love Joe Thornton. I mean, I can just right. picture him in a Team Canada jersey. Like I, I you know, nothing but yeah. admiration for him and his career. 
but um, yeah. he, he's not the answer to the Leafs. I mean, they no. I, they they brought in two older veteran players when they should have been brought bringing in a couple of third and fourth line guys that are going to go out and win games for you. Like Tampa Bay well, at the yeah. deadline last year got like Blake Coleman, uh, Bogosian. Right. Yeah. They they picked up Patty Maroon last year. Like they they picked they up the yeah. pieces that they needed to get tougher yeah. guys that are going to win mm-hmm. battles late in games and and win games for you. Well, I don't know that the Leafs were in a position to add a maroon or something. Even if he's making two point five million a year, they're so tight oh, no, against the Leafs the are cap. Cap. So yeah, you got yeah, yeah. So you got to bring. I think that part of it too is bringing him. You know, Simmons is a Toronto boy, and and, mm-hmm. and Thornton's from Saint Saint I know, Mary's, but is, which is, is that just what they're the doing now? They're London's taking like, in. Well, I think they maybe they figured that they well that that'll revitalize him. It's going to be a shorter season. Yeah, you know, stay healthy. They didn't get him for the regular season. They want him for the playoffs. They yeah, can't totally. beat the Bruins in the playoffs. So it's yeah. like, now I, I I sort of think the Bruins will beat himself. That's another roster that's that's getting older by the second. Um, and I know yeah. they have some you know some good young players, but uh, yeah, well, that's so an I interesting thing. To, that's an interesting thing to uh, to add on to because the teams, like you said, the Blackhawks and the Penguins and the Bruins, mm-hmm. even are all at points now where those top two centermen and their stud players are all getting, you know, into the th- mid-30s. Mid so Toadies. now you've got the young teams coming up, uh, yeah. like the Avalanche, uh, oh, maybe Colorado even like the, is, the Canucks. Um, Canucks to a certain degree, yeah. Colorado's yeah. loaded, you know. And yeah, Vegas the Rangers. Nice job the, is shaping it. the Kings are rebuilding. You know, I could, I could go out. And I don't think it's out on a limb to say, you know, like two or three years from now, we could be looking at Seattle being one of the top teams in the of league. Course, the way they build these happen. rosters real mm-hmm. quick. When you start out with a blank slate on salary cap, I mean, that's as valuable as having the second pick in a draft. <laughs> totally. Because you, know? totally. you can fill in the pieces. Um, yeah. Now, I, I, I still think that teams like the Avalanche – uh, they still have to learn how to win at crunch mm-hmm. time. That that was obvious. That was very obvious. And they also went through I'm a couple sh- terrible injuries. They lose the, They lost yeah. the captain. They like Landeskog was but, playing injured. Hey, you know what? I feel for you. Yeah. But tell me a team that doesn't deal with that's injuries. true. That's true. But you're right. Yeah, like for you, a young team like that, but they lost. Yeah, you know, you, they weren't ready to win because they didn't have enough balance uh, and no. that experience throughout their lineup. You're right. But anyway, I think, uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to see what, what Seattle will do. I, I think that could be huge for the NHL. I mean, they have no basketball team in Seattle, right? Yeah. So they, 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 could, they could really get behind the crack. And God knows, Seattle has the financial resources. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Microsoft's there. So there, there, there right. won't be any shortage. I remember going to a Sharks game in San Jose. Oh, God, about... 14, 15 years ago when they were just kind of coming up and you look in the crowd and it's it's like people who, who work for Google and Apple. They were kind of taking, you know, pictures of themselves while selfies were just coming in. They weren't even really watching the, the action on the ice and they were gone by the second period. Yeah. So you had a lot of tech money that was, okay, well, it's the only show in town. So you're going to also have that kind of money in Seattle to do things well okay there's no basketball team yet so uh let's let's go watch uh let's go watch the crack and play there you go you know? uh, well it so could I think, happen i think yeah. seattle's gonna be a good little hockey city oh uh, it's good sports I town think it's already gonna be, 
I think he's going to be great. Yeah. And you know, there's such the, the the population base on the West Coast is 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 growing, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know about natural rivalry with Vancouver. That could that could happen as well. Um, they're it both will. kind yeah. of yeah. I mean, they're both kind of laid back cities, and I'm you know I I I like the city of Vancouver. I like the vibe there a lot. And now I I actually can say it's it's okay to root for the Canucks again. You know, they got rid of the knuckleheads. That was not a likable team for any of our Vancouver fans who were listening. You know what? You know. You're probably right on that one. But I, I like the direction the Canucks are going, and I also like the direction the Senators are going right now. They seem to have yeah. made a couple of good moves here in the offseason. They're finally going to have a – hopefully if well, Matt, you know, Mur- if Matt Murray owned- can – yeah, they're still owned by Eugene Melnick. Of course, and I know he'll so find a way hard. to screw up. <laughs> if but, if yeah. Matt Murray can stay healthy for a half a season, yeah, and, yeah, uh, well, we'll we'll see. I mean, to be honest, I haven't gotten into the minutia of, of player movement that 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 deeply. Well, they brought uh, in the Erica Branson, big tough defenseman, yeah. Austin Watson, yeah, Austin Watson, tough forward. They yeah. got those young guys with Drake Batherson and uh, yeah, the young yeah. Well, it's, so, I mean, they got a couple of nice pieces. There's a lot of work to do in Ottawa, and uh, yeah, hey, I'm 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 all for them. But they got to also sell that team in Ottawa, and, and where they yeah. played never helps them. So they went I know. to the arena downtown. Unfortunately, that's so. I I spent yeah. some time there. My brother lived in uh, in Ottawa for a decade, right. and. Just left there a couple of years ago, but now um, we we would we would go there and go watch games, and it was just such an issue. Oh, yeah. For some, first no, of all, it's, it's an hour outside of the city in traffic. I know, and yeah, then yeah. yeah, and then getting back in, you'd always have to have a driver, and if you want to get on those buses, that's just a disaster. Oh, and it's there's nothing like Canada is is like. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I went to I went to school in Ottawa, and I my grandparents lived there, so mm-hmm. I know it fairly well. And it's really kind of evolved into a, a fun town, uh, but the hockey experience doesn't incorporate any of that. So no, they anyhow. need to move that downtown, and they should have done it a yeah. decade ago. Yeah, I'm with you, man. So yeah, yeah so, so anyway, that's hope- my take on where the league is. Man. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope it gets going. Let's let's just hope mm-hmm. we see hockey in 2021. So, uh, right. Tim, let's get into your career a little bit because I want to uh, learn a little bit about your travels. Um, you ended up in Asia. So, let's, so take me out of high school, first of all. So you, you finished oh, high school. Geez. What happened to you high and school. how did you end up uh, going into journalism in Asia? Can you fill the gap See, in after, there for me. After high school, I think I did uh, three years at the Niagara Penitent. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I, um, you know what? I... I I, I don't want to. I don't want to bore your listeners too much. That's but okay. I, I kind of just fill the gap in. How did you end up? In I Asia? went to. Uh, well, just I was working in California. I'd been in San Francisco for about five years, and I had three sisters who okay. were teaching in Hong Kong in okay. the late '80s, and so I kind of had had hit a wall on the stuff I was doing. I went to see them, and uh, I stayed. Um, that, that was really it. There was just. Uh, so at like the, the time, were you and, aspiring to be a writer or a journalist, or how did? Oh uh, no, happen? I was already. I had already had like okay. I had. A, I had a, a a TV talk show. I did a sports talk show back in uh, St. Catharines. Okay, see, you skipped over 80s. all that part. Yeah. How you got into journalism? Oh, wow. That's where I was. Well, we digging. were we were we were we were kind of Letterman irreverent before Letterman. This was pre Letterman, <laughs> okay. pre ESPN Sports Center. So yeah. I had, you know, I. 
gosh, who did I have on? Uh, some some players from Toronto, some old referees, some storytellers, and just uh, yeah, it was like a, a Wayne's World type of deal. But mm-hmm. we had sounds a lot fun. Of fun. Early podcasting, it, it was fun. Yeah, and yeah. it was uh, people would call in and and you know order pizzas or people would call in and. <laughs> yeah. We had one woman who used to call every week and bitch about her cable bill. She said, "You know, my husband works on the boats and he's never in town, and now you say you're going to cut off my cable." Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, you know, honey, I, that's not really my issue right, right now. Is there a question you had?" And we didn't have, we didn't have the two second delay, so people would swear at me and all that. Right. And it was like, but yeah, that, was, a good was that something that you just decided to start on your own? And like, are were you were you going to school to be a? broadcast i i was no i was in um i started out in political science okay and uh in in carlton and then i uh uh because at the time it was really really hard to get into the journalism program at yes. carlton but yeah. but but we were told that if you're there in the curriculum mm-hmm. you can sort of ease into it so i started in political science and i i, I had um there was a guy who was a speaker of the house who was our local MP and he was best friends with my father. My father was involved in politics, so he helped him get elected. And I used to go hang out the parliament buildings. I, you know, I got to meet Pierre Trudeau and sit in his chair and all that. And, and I just would have dinner with him and see the, the, the thing. And then in politics just kind of turned me off. I didn't really like what I saw. And mm-hmm. I, so I, 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 you know, I went into theater and English lit and uh, when I got out, I, I, I worked in uh, in theater for a while, um, traveling and doing stuff. And just I went out west uh, to do some uh, some writing, um, and just uh, yeah, was there for a while. And you know, really just found Asia. And uh, no, but I had I had experience already in the media before I got mm-hmm. to Asia. And. Uh, when I worked at the university, I, I kind of ran their publications department. So we, we would have, uh, we had an external and an internal magazine and I would get submissions from academics. You know, I'd say, okay, mm-hmm. I need 800 words on this. And they would send me 4,000 words mm-hmm. and I'd have to chop it. And so that was, that was a great experience. And none of them were too pleased about it, but I said, yeah, well, you have to understand that. I don't care how well you know the subject, you have to engage uh, your readers, and that was a very valuable lesson as as a columnist too. Yeah. Um, when I first started writing columns for the Eastern Express, yeah. So, so let's start with that. Let's get into. Well, the they Eastern they Express. they had they had an ethos that they were actually you know said uh, even though he was a British, the editor Steve Vines, who's, who's a very um, he's still a media presence in Hong Kong now, but he he was like top drawer British. Uh, journal telegraph and all that and you know he said he wanted to there's a lot of fruit to pick with american sports here because the scmp totally ignored it and it's like i got in as a columnist and uh and you know initially it was like okay great somebody's writing about american sports but then i realized you know you you can only play this gig for so long um you have to engage uh all the readers not 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 just the north americans so Mm -hmm. i found way is to, to broaden the uh, the narrative and um, being a political person, I sort of you know incorporated uh, uh, a lot of the politics surrounding sports into it, and you know because things are sports is inherently political, and, and people say, well, don't bring politics into sports, but what they mean is don't bring politics I disagree with into sports. If you want to bring my politics in, then well, fine. then that's fine. You know, yeah. Colin Kaepernick takes a knee for the national anthem. 
well, that's heresy. But yeah. if we're going to bring in all these patriots and jingos and we're going to do a national anthem and the flags, well, that's okay. But they're both political. So anyway, yeah, exactly. back then I was looking at ways like, you know, in China we had uh, – don't know if you remember they had that big uh, doping scandal in their swimming program i mean mm-hmm. they went yeah, from I zero remember. to a hundred in a heartbeat and i just so i kind of latched onto those stories and i said well this is kind of indicative of 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 their political system if 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 you have no transparency well then you can do this right so it was kind of like sports is is a window into a culture if you look at how the games people play and how they play it, 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 it'll expose a culture. If you look at things like Italian football, it's all drama and acting. And well, that's kind of Italy, you know. And if you look at the stoicism of hockey in Canada, that's kind of Canada. So I just found that to be fascinating. And uh, um, what happened was, uh, you got access to to a lot of the athletes who 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 wouldn't really open up to the media or who uh, you know. We're used to having a hundred reporters chasing them in North America. Well, when they came out to Asia, you would get teed up with them. You know, in Tiger Woods, how are you going to get an exclusive with Tiger Woods in in North America? You know, mm-hmm. we would get them in Asia for for scrums, but not even like NBA Commissioner David Stern. I, I for some reason became his go-to guy in Asia. So every time he'd come, and the NBA people would team me up, we would interview him. Uh, Bud Selig, all these guys, right? Who mm-hmm. uh, or media-verse, they're looking to grow their brands in Asia. So so that was a kind of uh So was that still at your time with Eastern was, Express, that you were getting all these, making all yeah, these connections? Beginning, at the beginning with Eastern Express. I mean, yeah. when Eastern Express opened, it was very ambitious, and there was a lot of money. That was the Oriental, uh, which is a big paper right. in Hong Kong. They were stinking, sticking that money into it. So, mm. you know, the pay was good, and they basically cleared out the entire back page for me. I mean, the entire back page. But the, so and they also these... gave you free reigns to, to write about, like you said, yeah, North anything. Americans. So were you, were you writing about local hockey at the time or what was happening yeah, in Asia? Yeah, well, well, nobody was writing about local hockey because local hockey was just evolving. I mean, just back started, then they were yeah. playing in, in Taikushing at City Plaza. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, the rink was half the size of a normal rink. Guys like Jim Robinson and, and Greg Smith and Mike Raytek in the early days, all those guys. So I knew those guys. And I, yeah, I would, I would, I would, uh, you know, I would give them a little link. But again, that was never going to drive any sort right, of significant no. demographic for me. So I got, yeah, they gave me free reign. I remember I wrote a column once because um, ESPN was just coming into Asia at the time. And what happened was we were so starved for any kind of sports. I mean, it's the early 90s, right? And for some reason, ESPN pulled Sports Center, and they tried to put this local Sports Center up. That was just horrendous. So Pulp Fiction came out. So I wrote a column. I I had you know the the two hit men from Pulp Fiction put a hit on ESPN, right? Mm-hmm. So sixteen hundred words of uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta, you know. And so that was that was the type of things we were doing back right. then. That got really experimental, and nobody stopped you. But uh, no, and then it kind of evolved. I got involved broadcasting. Uh, Star Sports was starting to to show the NBA, and uh, um, they were showing Japanese baseball, and and it, it just so happened that it corresponded with the rise of Ichiro. And, and I remember the first uh, I don't want to wax 
too poetically about it, but Ichiro when he was like 20 and he was in the Jap- Japan series. I mean, nobody really knew him. So and we were broadcasting. It's the same thing with Yao Ming when he was like 16. Well, you know, he was about seven foot two at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so so I've, I've yeah. Talk, yeah, I've talked to this. Um, I, you, I think you know Lauren Oris, actually. I talked I to do, him. Yeah. I talked to Lauren about this um, a while back, but satellite TV and the invention of like uh, like MBA packages and stuff like that. Mm. When all mm. that started happening over here, were you here? And was that like one of the driving forces of of people like the, of the North American exports kind of uh, exploding here in Asia? Yeah, I don't think there's any question, man. I mean, you 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 can't really you know develop a following if you're not on TV, mm-hmm. and uh, um, yeah, it, it, there's there's no question it was. But in the early days, they were really, really, really clueless about right. the content they had. They were getting the content for next to nothing in some cases, you right. know, and they didn't know what to do with it. So I kind of in print. Um, let's just say I, I, I helped them. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, that kind of evolved. Um, you know, the NBA was on the ground in Asia in the late 80s and early 90s. David Stern was way ahead of the game. You right. know, he wanted China and Hong Kong was, was, was going to be his ticket in. So they were very proactive. And by the way, they were, they were also very sophisticated in their marketing machine at that point anyhow, right? Whereas the NHL, like, God, they had games in Tokyo and uh, uh, and stuff like that. And they really had no clue about what they were doing. They were just told they had to be out here, you know. Right. So, yeah, so we got the content. We got the content on TV. And right. that sort of, you know, that helped drive it, too. So was this around the time, so you, the Eastern Express only lasted a few years, um, mm-hmm. So right. you're in the yeah. mid '90s now, and right. you, what were you thinking when that paper was closing? Did you were you looking at other options, or was the broadcast? Oh yeah, hold no, you no, over? no. What was happening? No, 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 no. It was uh, yeah. Of course, you had to look at other options, and, mm-hmm. and the thing was, it was it was very fortuitous because at the time uh, we had guys like Wang Zhiji and even Yao Ming to a certain degree who 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 uh, who very much uh, were drawing the interest of mm-hmm. people back in North America, like Time Magazine and the New yeah. York Times. So I would, I would write about those guys because they, yeah, they, those, you know, Time had somebody on the ground here and so did the New York Times. But they didn't know anything about sports. So I would kind of frame it in a sporting sort of geopolitical right. realm. And uh, that was kind of a, a ticket. And, you know, it speaks to having access in Asia. If I was back in North America uh, at the time, you know, I mean, Time Magazine was a big deal, right? Writing for them, there would have been a ton of competition in mm-hmm. North America. But because I was basically one of the few people on the ground out 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 in Asia, I, I, I managed to uh, you know to get a lot of work with them and, and parlay that. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm hoping to, to uh, follow in your footsteps in that sense where. Uh, I'm getting a few guests that are just, you know, doing this because, um, you know, they really want to help spread their, you know, their stories in Asia. And, you know, they, th- they think it's just unique or a unique opportunity because there's not a lot of people doing it. Doing what specifically? Just interviewing, talk, talking about uh, North American sports here in yeah, Asia. Yeah, but you know what, yeah. Chris? You want, you, want to, you want to get a real job, man. Don't, don't listen. Don't, <laughs> don't just... just 
This is my my. Uh, I hate to bring this. My nephew came to visit me. I want to switch jobs there. with you tomorrow, and then you tell oh, me you should have dude, a different right. job. Wow. Okay. I hope you have money in the bank because uh, <laughs> uh, right now the media opportunities, unless you're a sensationalist, you know, yeah. unless you're Stephen A. on ESPN screaming and, and oh, that God, sort of thing. Oh, God, I would thing. never want to do anything well, like that. He makes seven million a year. Okay. So unless if you're if you're okay with the fact that you know all of your buddies and I I was kind of in a position where I did okay financially but all the guys i was you know hanging with and running with in hong kong if they were working at goldman sachs you know i, I yeah. was making tip money for them so exactly no it's, no of it's course, a different I'm, vibe wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't didn't get into teaching for the money and i certainly wouldn't oh. certainly wouldn't get into journalism well, for the money either but my point being like you know i that that's that would be a passion for me that would be something that would be that would be a lot of fun to do especially the broadcasting side yeah well that's you know you have a lot of options. I mean, what we're doing right now, this podcast, this this option didn't exist 20 or 25 years ago. You know, no, it's very totally. organic. You you totally. set it up, yeah. you run with it, and you can learn on the fly. And totally. I think yeah. without you know, without sounding a little too archaic here, a lot of the issues now I find in, in, in media is we have people who have the platform, but they don't have the proper training. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. you just miss you miss that step. Yeah, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to learn. You have to sit with the drunks and listen to them. You know, <laughs> at at these cocktail parties. No, it's true. I always said this. I know this the bar the, you're talking about. Yeah, well, lots of them. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I I used to sit at the FCC. Yeah. God, I'm 30 years ago, and I'd I'd have to listen. Sometimes I didn't mind, but you know, the photographers from the Vietnam War. You, know, you buy them a drink and they'll get going uh, yeah. on it. And it's kind of interesting to a point, but uh, you know it, you have to learn how to craft a story. And I hate to say it, regardless of alternative facts and fake news, and that you still have to uh, you still have to deal in, in in some elements of truth. And 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 that's kind of going by the wayside as opposed mm-hmm. to sensationalism, because you know the extremists get get all the clicks. Uh, so. I'm 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 not trying to dissuade you from that. I I just think if you <laughs> I'm going to keep passion, my day job, Tim. Don't worry. Well, no, but if you bring passion and integrity to it, then I'm all for it, and yeah. I'd like to help in any way I can. Well, you're helping me right now is a great deal. Uh, um, I really appreciate uh, this. Um, uh, and let's let's get back to you here for a sec. So it's uh, April okay. 2000. You sign on with the SCMP. <laughs> Uh, you, ah, you worked whoa. with them for almost two decades. Tell me a little bit about your time there. You know, I, I want you to tell me more a little bit about like some of the things that you really enjoyed about the job, and maybe some of the things that you know you didn't, uh, you weren't excited about when you woke up in the morning. Well, it was kind of odd because when when you worked at the Eastern Express and the Eastern Express and the SCMP were definitely in competition because the Eastern Express came in and they they overpaid a lot of editors from the SCMP to jump ship. So it was okay. like it was like, you know, the WHA or the USFL at the time, right? Mm-hmm. They were they were doubling. So the ones that stayed at the SCMP, they 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 were kind of uh they were not crazy about ex-Eastern Expressers. So I don't want to mention any names, but the guy who was the editor there was was an old school uh, sports editor, SCMP guy. And then he was replaced by a guy who who, who was my editor at the Eastern Express. So mm-hmm. 
um, they didn't really have anybody who was doing what I could do. So I guess they just assumed they didn't need it. But uh, we, we kind of came to a good agreement and uh, um, just kind of let it rip. But it was amazing. The first column I wrote uh, for them, I had about five times as much feedback. And you realize you're going from a paper that was, yeah, okay, to these guys were the eyeballs of Hong Kong, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it had a lot more uh, saturation. I remember the early days i would write a a little bit about hockey and then i would see it the next day when it come out in print and it would say ice hockey and i would call them i'd say dude there is no ice in my there is no ice in my hockey that's redundant and they'd say well you know we and there was always brits or aussies there was there was no north americans in the editorial thing there and i used to have to fight and I'd say, just here, you got to understand something. The people yeah. who are reading me are North Americans. Mm-hmm. So if I keep calling it ice hockey, it's not like a, I'm not going to say a baseball match. You're just I? embarrassed. It's, You're it's just like, I, I don't want well, these words inked to my name. So that kind of evolved. But I went back to the sort of mantra where I realized, and more so the post than with, uh, you know, more so SEMP than with Eastern Express, that that I had to engage and make it broader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting emails from, from Brits who were very provincial about the SEMP. He says, that garbage doesn't belong in the SEMP. You know, we, we follow football and rugby and all that. And I said, well, geez, yeah, thanks for the flowers, dude. Yeah, you know, exactly. that, that So I knew I had to, to branch out, so I got involved, you know, trying to find ways to write about well the sevens was a carnival so that was easy to write about mm-hmm. but and you know how many I, months writing I, could you get out of the sevens oh well when the sevens would <laughs> the happen lead up. i mean i i would do color pieces you know mm-hmm. i mean i was doing a lot of work for the post anyhow i had my yeah. weekly column and i was then i started writing for the magazine and then you know the flying me to New Zealand for uh, the America's Cup and that one. Well, that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. uh, but but the, you know, the sevens was just writing color around it and then incorporating rugby sort of stories. And they had dedicated rugby writers, um, one in particular who was very critical of the union and all the things they did. Me, I just, I wasn't critical. I, th- I thought it was a great event and this is it's very unifying for 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 hong kong blah 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 all that so uh no i got a fair bit of work out of it um and you know when i started they were just transitioning to the new stadium which changed the tournament and you know jonah loma was coming up uh we had our charismatic star so yeah we got a lot of work but then that kind of morphed into uh, i started incorporating uh local politics and some of the associations into these pieces and that's when I started getting a lot of feedback, and I could tell that uh, it's you, you, it doesn't matter how how international you may be. You may think you're in New York City and you can write about the world, but once you write about hometown stuff, that's people's passion. That's when you find it's like you know people want to bitch about the sewers backing up on their street. No, never mind. You know, COVID in China and that. They, so it was it was a lesson, a, a very stark lesson for me incorporate the hong kong elements into this and yeah. that's what i had to do uh so you talked about your Express. feedback so were you getting both right. positive and negative feedback and was that kind of like generating more buzz about your columns 
Yeah, of course I got positive and negative. Yeah, getting, exactly. I mean, that's I, what you I want. Was, I, I didn't say I that. Getting, I, don't, uh, I didn't mean that to sound rude. I mean, no, like, no, 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 no. I mean, like, I was you know getting, you're going to uh, get that. I was getting negative feedback when I go to watch I and I'd bump into these Brits and tell them, right. oh, I write that wanking baseball and hockey stuff, mate. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, and I, you know, so, yeah, you, you kind of got both, but it was, uh, uh, I think what turned the corner for me was when, when SARS hit in mm-hmm. 2003, you know, and I just kind of, uh, incorporated what was happening in, into a sports column. And I, I, you know, a lot of people have said that it stopped being a sports column. It was only in the sports section then. And it was like, well, I'm not consciously going to, you know, uh, bore you with politics if you're coming to the sports for escapism. It's just, a, to me, sports is life. So these these are elements of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that started to... Uh, and I, you know, I think they had a lot of turnover there, uh, particularly the uh, the feature section and the front section. They were bringing in new columnists like every week, um, and none of them were really sticking. And so I just, they kind of left me alone. Um, I had one of the uh, the editors there tell me, he said, as soon as I hear someone's name in an editorial meeting, it's not good. It means that they're they're going to be canned in a couple of weeks. And he says, I, I still don't hear your name in there. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's good. Let me exist off the radar. You know, I managed to skate through and, and, and avoid it um, for like 20 years. Uh, so uh, I, I, people want to bitch about the SCMP all the time, wherever you go. You know, they'll, they'll bitch to me about stories and this and that. And I just kind of shake my head and say, yeah, 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 whatever. And then when, when Alibaba bought it, you know, back in late 2016, oh, it's going to be a, uh, a China plant and all that. Well, I, I, I can just tell you in all honesty, in 20 years of writing there, no one ever told me I couldn't write something. And I did write some very political pieces about China, and I was never told I couldn't. Well, there now, you go. the calculus has changed somewhat with, mm-hmm. this, with, these, with these new laws. They but uh, How much time have you, you know, been spending in Hong Kong the last couple of years? Um, off and on. Yeah. Not a ton, but I've done some writing. Um, yeah. You know, I think one of the last columns I did was about the, the MBA's uh, camps that they set up in, in Xinjiang, right? Yeah. Which is the genocide out, out in um, Western China. And I was very explicit about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can't, you can't write with fear. And I know... I know, and this speaks to a larger issue. There is an element of fear in, mm-hmm. in, in Hong Kong media, and rightfully so. Come on. Yeah. But then you, you also have to understand, uh, I know some of the people who are involved in these groups or in these government departments where you know they're looking to censor you. And these are not the brightest people in the room, okay? Mm-hmm. They just have a basic template. Maybe I'm giving away something now. and. Mm-hmm. I just figured I, I, I could be in the back in the sports section. They ain't looking for me. That's not where the troublemakers are. So it's kind of right. like you get free reign. But right. uh, no, I, I understand. It's 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 a very serious issue. But it's being redefined by the moment. Um, I can't speak for uh, some of the editorial decisions they make at the SCMP, um, and, I, and I and I can't, you know, I I, I can't vouch for. You know the the validity that uh, people are, are are being suppressed and stories are being suppressed. I, I'm I'm sure it happens, but you you also have to 
take into account that this happens in publications outside of Hong Kong as well. It happens in New York City, believe me. Of course, me. yeah. You know, if you're writing for a Murdoch-controlled publication, well, you can't say this about so-and-so, you know. They'll do it subtly. No, I don't think that story's on our radar. So it happens. It's just so politically charged in Hong Kong and so pronounced right now that, that yeah. everybody everybody uh, is alarmist. And, and do you there's, feel like you a, got out a, at a good time? Um, you know, I, it's, it's really hard to say. I think out of Hong Kong and out of the day-to-day media workings, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. probably. I, I do feel like I happened to, to catch the tail end of the golden years where we right. were just, um, it really was the Wild West. I mean, Hong Kong, Hong Kong has always stood for freedom for a lot of people. You can come and recreate yourself here. You know, uh, yeah. and you can and you can find your way, and and if you take that element out of Hong Kong, that sort of avant-garde spirit, that's that's a hybrid of East and West. When you take that out of it, then then Hong Kong as we know it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. So I, a lot I don't. Of people are echoing those sentiments. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I don't want to be an alarmist, but I, the Hong Kong is being redefined. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, you either are comfortable with it or you're not. And mm-hmm. if you're not comfortable with it, um, you have to know that uh, you're swimming upstream. Uh, so if you're okay doing that, then then have at it. But uh, uh, yeah, that's how I feel. But I'm still I still write columns, and if the Tokyo Games happen. Next summer, I, I, I think I'm, I'm slated to do some stuff for the SCMP unless I've doomed myself after this podcast. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just, it's, it's not my, 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 my right. soul, my, it's not my soul gig. It's not, not my right. only thing. But I always, I, I got to be honest, I think if I had any sort of legs in Hong Kong and the fact that I had a long career there, I think people respected the fact that I was relatively honest and, yeah. Didn't have uh, ulterior motives or an agenda, um, so uh, you know. Hopefully, those values uh, still still resonate. Yeah. yeah. So well, yeah. I mean, that's important to have integrity as a journalist. So it's nice to uh, to hear that's something that you uh, you really worked hard to uh, to have and throughout your career. And I wanted to ask you. I mean, you've done a lot of different aspects. Sorry, my cat mm. is meowing in the background. Everyone, that's okay. Um, I know you've. Uh, this is the joys of of podcasting from home during a pandemic. Of course. Uh, <laughs> um, so you you worked a lot of different aspects of of journalism. What's what's kind of the one that you really enjoy doing the most? Like as far as like broadcasting yeah. or writing or researching or. Following big stories well, or getting I your think, feet dirty. I think, yeah. Well, there's two, actually. I, I, I can tell you of a recent incident that happened. And also, um, I, I've, for all of it, I, I actually, even though it was a love-hate relationship with columns, because you got to remember, you're not reporting the news. You have to come up with a fresh take right. every call. It's not yeah. easy. It's unique. And that was, particularly, that was particularly difficult for the Sevens. After 20 years, I got nothing left to say. And I'm not reporting game scores. <laughs> But a lot of columns, you start out with an idea, uh, and the column, this sounds a little crazy, but the column takes over, and it takes you in a different direction, and that's the most fun. 
That is by far. Okay. You start with that an idea sense. and you go in a, in a different direction. But mm-hmm. as far as personally, I think for me last year in Japan, when I was there, I, you know, I did the Rugby World Cup for the SCMP, which was, was a blast. But we also had in the middle of it the NBA games in Tokyo. And I happened to be in Tokyo, knew the NBA, so I was scheduled to do it. And then I, I, I'm sure you recall Daryl Morey's tweet, the, the general manager of the Rockets, about, yes, uh, you know, fight for Hong Kong. And that mm-hmm. just blew up. That blew up. Mm-hmm. And that was like the NBA and Adam Silver and all those people were right there. And it was a global, it was a global issue with China. And I happened to be front row center. And there were no other, there was nobody else from the Hong Kong media there because LeBron and the Lakers were playing in Shanghai. So everybody was going up for the Shanghai games, right? We had the Raptors and the Rockets in in Tokyo. So I remember, um, I know a lot of people with the NBAs, you know, went to the cocktail parties and all the innuendos behind the scenes and all this. So yeah, I'm I'm digging around. And I'll never forget um, Adam Silver's press conference uh, on Tuesday. And, you know, you looked around and there was CNN, there was the BBC. They were all there. And I had basically already written my piece about how the NBA apologizes for Daryl Morey's tweet and says, tries to walk it backwards. But then Silver came out and I was sitting no more than 10 feet away from him. And I could see in his face, this guy was torn. He came out and he did this dissertation on personal freedoms, right? Now, it's easy to be cynical about professional sports and especially these commissioners because they're billion dollar entities, corporate entities. Right. Right. But that moment, and I happened to be there and I thought I'm the only guy from Hong Kong media here. So I had to ask him, I said, that's awesome. When you say, so he went on the record and said, we will back our employees freedom of speech regardless. Mm -hmm. And we backed Daryl Morey and he says, I know we're, they're not happy in China. You know, we're losing money. We're losing opportunities. But this is more important. So I asked him, and, and I give him full credit. I said, you know, you talk about Daryl Morey's freedom of speech, and he works in Houston, Texas. I said, but you've got 60 employees in your office in Hong Kong. And as you know, people like Cathay Pacific um, are coming down and saying, you can't speak for Hong Kong. I said, will you guarantee your employees' freedom of speech in Hong Kong? And, you know, he looked at me and I had him up against the wall. He couldn't dance sideways because, you know, the world's media was on him. And, and he said, we will guarantee our employees freedom of speech in Hong Kong. And at that moment, they were the first international huge corporation to come out and say, we will guarantee our employees freedom of speech. And so that's kind of a moment you work towards. And it was just serendipity. You fall into it. But yeah, uh, and it, that's yeah. a billion dollar conversation that was had, you know, like that's no, yeah, that's fluff. no, it's not. No, that's global. I mean, that transcends. That was on ABC news. Somebody yeah, said, you know, exactly. I saw you on ABC news and it was like, all right, well, this is not about me, but the, the, the thing was I have a lot of local friends and you know, it got picked up by the Hong Kong media and they were sending me notes to thank me for asking. And I thought to myself, well, dude, this is my job. This is kind of why I'm here. It just happened to be fortuitous to be, to be sitting there for that. So that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a high point. But, you know, it's, it's a grind. It's a grind. And it's not nearly as romantic as it might sound. Uh, and so there's a lot of times you, 
uh, you battle with it. And, and the other thing is, if you have a bad day at work, well, everybody's going to know about it, right? <laughs> Whereas if you're, you know, if you're working yeah. at GM and you have a bad day at work, well, okay, who's going to know? But so you take all of that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think I think uh, I don't really spend a lot of time reflecting on it so this is all kind of different with me but uh um i'm i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but i'm really a shit kicker from thorold ontario so Mm -hmm. to see the things and to be in the areas i went to um yeah it was quite um was it was quite a journey but it's it's far from over so uh yeah, yeah um that's 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 basically it man it's gotta be it's gotta be strange for you to be on the other side of the interview here um yeah it is and i like doing this in a podcast thing i've done a couple of you know (laughs) there's some papers around here have done feature stories on me and i know that you're kind of at the uh you're at the whims of the writer. If he wants to take it in a different direction, he can use the quotes to structure it. Like That's this right. guy's an asshole, and yeah. here's the proof. There you go. Um, whereas with this 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 format, uh, I don't think you're going to go in and, and do much editing. But uh, there'll be no editing. We didn't even make yeah, any mistakes, and we're almost at the end here. So let's uh, let's move on here quickly. Um, like I said, I, you did a, a job that I've always, you know, I might romanticize the the uh, the thought of it a little bit, but you know, something that I've always, for some reason, I I always wanted to be a part of journalism or mm-hmm. sports media mm-hmm. in some way, and I kind mm-hmm. of feel like um, you know I'm getting this opportunity right now, but. You've had a hell of a career, and and you're not obviously you're not done yet. But in 2017, you stepped away from the SCMP. Um, yeah. So what's what's left for you right now? Like what's what's next? What are you, what are you going to be doing water. next? No water. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I have uh, a couple of projects I'm 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 working on. One is kind of sports related and one is not sports related uh multimedia projects i mean i'm i'm you know i i started doing a documentary a few years back in hong kong um filmmaker i mean i really i cut my teeth uh you know in writing for i used to do script doctoring and in california for some of these things so i'm getting back into that um yeah, I really, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics about either project because they're sort of in their infancy. But that's kind of how uh, how I'm looking at at doing it now. It's a lot more organic uh, in in you know in multimedia now, in that you can uh, you can have someone edit your 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 film in their living room. You know, you don't have to go into studios and do this right. and you don't have to, you can, you can outsource crews that have a, a red camera, digital, whatever, and all that. So it's, it's, it's a lot more. I, I, I just find, uh, that's always been my interest. Um, and I, I hate to say it, but almost by default, I fell into sports writing in Asia because, uh, nobody else was really doing it and there seemed to be a void to fill. So, uh, just going forward, um, yeah, multimedia stuff. Um, I talked to some people about doing a podcast before. Uh, I guess that's always a possibility, but yeah, uh, it certainly still is. 
Yeah, I just, I, I, it's, yeah, I'm going to, so it's going to be more multimedia oriented and I hope, uh, you know, like I, I'm really fingers crossed that Tokyo will happen because I've invested a lot professionally in, in Japan and the, uh, you know, the Japanese Olympics and, uh, and that, and I have a lot of different options to, uh, pursue there. So, uh, so really, that's it. Um, combination of, of of writing, a uh, little bit of being in front of the camera, um, you know, and directing and and that sort of stuff. Uh, but that's that's the play, man. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. We just, uh, you know, we, we we have to just get the world traveling again. And, and once yeah, we do that, that's uh, just it, man. Uh, but I always have an affinity for Hong Kong. That's you know that. that transcends a lot of things so uh, i think without giving too much away there are stories to tell about hong kong from an insider's uh, perspective that 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 are necessary i I don't believe the international the international media hasn't gotten it right on on both sides of the coin because they uh you know they, they they go for the sensationalism of it but um I hope I can uh, accommodate uh, that. Um, so really, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm looking at, Chris. Um, yeah, know, well, uh, I mean, I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you get to go to mm. Japan and uh, do some reporting on the Olympics and, you know, continue yeah. to, at this point of your career, just pick out, uh, you know, the highlights and the, the events and, and things oh, you yeah. want to no, write I'm, about. And... I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in years, but just... Uh, the reason I stepped away from the weekly column stuff was because the topics were evolving in a direction I didn't want to go in. Now right. everything is quantifiable. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, you got to write about MMA and stuff like that. And I, well, that's not my thing. I mean, right. I hate to say it. It's, it's not, yeah. not that I'm against it. But I just want to mention, if, if before I forget here, mm-hmm. you, you also play in the Hong Kong softball league. Yeah, right? I was just going to say, we're not going to leave this podcast without mentioning yeah. Um, yeah. how we kind of cross paths early on. Um, yeah. Tell everybody yeah. a little bit about the... One of the reasons why I love Hong Kong so much is because of this softball league. It's a really special thing. Yeah. People people kind of snicker when I talk about softball sometimes, but I mean, it's it's a really special thing. Phenomenal in that. And, you know, hopefully we have some people from the league who who, who are tuning in. They've heard all my BS and they've they've waited almost an hour to get around to the meat and potatoes for them from Mm -hmm. softball. But, you know, I mean, professionally and socially for me, it was was phenomenal. And I had... I think about Kings Park, and I don't know if you know, back in the early 90s, I was involved with the executive. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we got kicked out of Tin Kuang Do. We used to play on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we got, not for anything we did, we just weren't a local organization and we were easy to, to right. marginalize. So myself and Mike Glaze, who, who, who lives in a fortified compound in the Philippines now, the senator, because mm-hmm. he was uh, he was the guy who started the Millbank team back when they were global, oh, wow. way back before they became the evil empire, as you guys call them. So anyhow. I'm glad you said it, not me. Shut up. Well, I got enough friends on that team. I can say that, man. Yeah, anyhow, I, what I happened was in that. the mid-90s, we were orphans. We had no yeah. field. And I had to, uh, you try finding a field in Hong Kong. I mean, it's next to impossible. And we, we, we kind of, we were looking at King's Park and, you know, we, we both thought, well, it's not ideal, but it is a field and we got nothing else. And, uh, as it turned out, um, Kings Park used to be a hospital, an army hospital, and then the, the grounds was uh, where the troops would, would, would play and practice. I mean, that, that plot of land, for those who don't know, it's, 
it's you know it's right in the middle of of, of Kowloon. Um, the value of that land alone would be like five or six billion dollars U.S. Right. Mm-hmm. Just so they were going to knock everything down and redevelop it. And what happened was a guy I used to work with at City University. It was an old poker pal, Richard Armour, was one of the uh, rugby guys involved in getting the planning department to. Uh, to hopefully let them use it for things. So they put together this incredible proposal because the planning department was all set. Everything was coming down. More high-rises kicking a hole in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he, they came up with this idea. They put together this package of kids playing rugby, and they showed it to the planning department, said, these are your kids. Now, back then, just as we were about to have the handover, the the, the rugby and the Brits, they had a lot of influence politically, right? They They... they you know, they could get in and do this. So the, the, the town, the planning department came back to them and said, okay, well, we'll, we'll put off that and we'll let you lease it, you know, for 20, 30 years, but you can't have just one sport. You got to have three. So, you know, Richard called me and said, are you guys interested in being chartered members of the King Park Sports Association? When I was a pretty quick negotiation i said well can we have saturdays in perpetuity and he said yeah so they put that into the contract now that might not seem like a big deal in hindsight but it is i mean the league doesn't exist unless we get lucky with that and uh, you know having a booking and people tried to steal it from us over the years uh but so you're you're the person to thank that we have saturdays nah. oh my goodness no man. you know I got, what? no no this that, is unbelievable you know, breaking news no, here here no no here's well, it's not. If, if, if you had a beer with me in the, in the thing, I usually get going on that stuff. Oh, hell yeah. Right, you know, and then, then I told Obama, you should do this. No, yeah. no, no. It no, was, our, um, we call them sacred Saturdays, man. Um, so, you know, and, well, and a lot of us wouldn't see, be able to play if it wasn't another day of the well, week. Well, and that's kind of what I said to Mike Glaze at the time yeah. we were looking at it. I said, you know, Mike, in 25 years, you think any of this will matter? Because we were really struggling. We were really struggling to find some. I said, 25 years from now, they'll have a bunch of snotty nose new age narcissist playing there who will never understand the legacy no i'm kidding i'm kidding um (laughs) we just it was it was it was very fortuitous because uh a couple of associations came to us and said well could we you know if you guys aren't going to use it that day can we use it and i said sure so i helped the frisbee association booking and then i found out that they came to them and said, well, why do the softball guys get that booking? Why can't we have it? And I thought, oh, hang on a second here. I oh. help you out. And then you come and do this. That wasn't oh, yeah. And we, had, and we had rugby groups who, who were very much against us because we were very, you know, very North American, obviously. We're the, the only group. And we would play on Saturdays. But we had one thing going for us. When Delaney's got the contract, we spent more than the other six associations combined. Mm-hmm. on f and b so i always had that in my back pocket when we were in the king sports sports association and, and we were in you know as as far as constitutionally we were, we were charter members so uh the way it's evolved though um you know at first people didn't think it was big enough we can't do this we can't do that it was kind of like, okay have you got a better plan you know have you got another option so it sort of evolved and then we went from six to eight teams and you know the players the quality of play got better. We had, and then a lot of the younger guys came out and started doing it. And then it just became a social staple for yeah. so many people. Uh, it's that, unbelievable. Uh, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, you know, I can't, 
I can't say it enough. Like we enjoy our yeah. Saturdays so much. The quality of softball is is like, mm. you know, it's yeah. unbelievable, and we have so much yeah. fun, and the camaraderie is great, and you know, it's just yeah. The camaraderie is really to me. It's always been the uh, the thing that defines it. I mean, there's a sense yeah. of immediacy to friendships in Hong Kong because no totally. one has their extended family here, you know, mm -hmm. parents or whatever. So when you get to know somebody here, you get to know them intimately. You can know somebody yeah. better in six months than you could in six years. And I just found that uh, uh, people, I think, and you know better than I, because I'm I'm kind of removed from the league. Um, I haven't played in a few years. Uh, you know that that people respect the fact that we have a role to play. We can't be bombs. Pick up your garbage. You know, yeah. uh, respect the space, mm -hmm. uh, and and everybody gets on. But we, you know, we. I think I was lucky in in, in to some degree because I. I had a bit of a profile writing the column. I knew all the rugby guys, right? Yeah. So when they would, they were having a problem with the government on some, they would come to me and they'd say, well, maybe you, you need to give them one of your bollockings. And I had to go look up what bollocking meant. And I was like, oh, yeah, just <laughs> chew them out. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so we were in pretty good stead. But I think guys like Greg Flynn have picked up the baton and Jimmy yeah. Grandolfo. Uh, but even before them, guys like Dominic Martinetti, who uh, you know helped helped to drive the league, and just too many people to thank. But uh, you know, to see that the, the the next few generations have understood that and appreciate that, it's it's good because just um, sometimes it gets forgotten. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when you're playing, like I said, and I wrote a column about this before. That's the most expensive field in the world, you know, because that land alone. Would be over five or six billion U.S. in redevelopment. That's amazing. You know, you know. I'm so, glad you well, said that because um, I certainly don't take it for granted, and I, and I and it's hmm. something we bring up quite frequently how how lucky we are to have Kings Park, yeah. and you know. With all the things that have been going on in Hong Kong with the protests and right, uh, right. And, and the pandemic, you know, we've still been able to, fortunate enough to get out there yeah. at certain times, being able to play a sport we love and still see our friends and, you know, just a well, great, know, great atmosphere. And, and you guys were the pioneers of that. And, and uh, well, you guys it's just, no, you know, you, don't, you, you never think you're on the cusp of, of history or redefining something. You're just trying to, to skate through it. And we, yeah, we, we, of course. We were, we were desperate and we, we got lucky, but the the thing about it too is, you guys, I hope realize that your buddies in in Canada and the U.S. aren't doing this, you know, because all the leagues are shut down. They're not. They're not yeah, playing. And, that's right. You know, know. So, you know, uh, social distancing and all that stuff. So the fact that you guys are, are still playing and getting out there and enjoying it, in spite, I, I hate to say it, it's it's just a, it's a sort of it's it's a bit of normalcy and and you know and the kind of madness that's happening so uh yeah well just just rock on and uh mm -hmm. hopefully i'll see you guys out there for a beer uh yeah tim i mean events. i hope uh, i hope you can get in and come and visit us and have a beer at the studio and 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 have a come in and talk mm -hmm. to us again and uh do an interview in person and, and talk about whatever whatever events you've been at recently and if not just come out to the field and 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 enjoy a cold one on a saturday afternoon yeah, well, that's really what it's all about, and that more than anything is the legacy of it. Because to me, the most, you know, the most satisfying and fulfilling thing is when you know people around uh, the world who say, yeah, when they go back to Hong Kong, they got to go to the softball field. It's it's kind of their spiritual home to touch base. So if we can keep that, 
keep that going and not be exclusive by the way too we've had brits and we've had aussies in the league you know over the years so it's 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 not just a quote american slash north american thing uh no it's so very I international think, uh, right now yeah and you guys still got uh, team hoser right with a few exceptions yeah exactly yeah all right well that's good man we'll keep keep flying the flag so uh, we will and enjoy my and uh and we'll get out there, but yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for you know for all this. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope we didn't put too many people to sleep today, but uh, it's all good, yeah. Tim. Thank you. Uh, thanks for doing this and doing it on short notice. And uh, yeah, very uh, very happy to talk to you, and and we can chat anytime. All right, bro. Take uh, care, and uh, you know, uh, have, have a beer for me. I will. Out there. All right. All right, folks. That was across the pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Sunset Studio, and Print House Limited. And a giant thank you to my producer, Andy Zombathy, who makes us sound great week in and week out. And of course, Mr. Paul McLean, who makes everything happen here at the studio. Folks, check out our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at acrossthepondhk.